Welcome to Gaia's Disclosure Podcast. Go beyond the mainstream to uncover hidden truths and decode ancient origins. If you want to go deeper, visit Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower a community of fellow seekers. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com. Well, welcome to Beyond Belief. I'm George Norrie. One of our favorite guests, L.A. Marzulli with us, author, lecturer, filmmaker. He has penned 13 books, including the Nephilim Trilogy, which has made the CBA series of bestsellers. It's amazing. His new film series on the trail of the Nephilim already has five episodes. And I say already because you're constantly working on new ones. You don't stop. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And we love it. I love what I do. Well, first of all, I want to tell folks about a tragedy that you encountered last year during the California wildfires that just completely wiped out your house, your library of videos, almost everything you own. Absolutely everything we own. It was incredibly traumatic. My wife and I had PTSD directly after that. We didn't know we had PTSD. Walking around on a daze for about six months, we moved to Oklahoma. And then six months later, we come, why did we move here anyway? So we're, we're going to move back to California process of rebuilding. But my library, which had about, I don't know, maybe 2,000 books, a lot of them first edition things, autograph tomes. And I had, a, I had a special wall with all the dog-eared notes, post-its, you know, highlighted, and all that's gone. So I used to be able to go and pull it. I think it was on page 56, and I would look. I had my, my notes in the back, sure. and I could just pull it out and go, oh, yeah, it's on page 56, and, and there it was. All that's gone. And I'm, I can't possibly, at 70 years old, I can't possibly reproduce that. We take it for granted we of do. our living conditions yeah, until they're gone. Until it's gone. And then poof. Yeah. But you're rebuilding. Yeah. And you're putting your life it's back home. together again. It's home. Good. The important thing, L.A., you and your wife are safe. We're safe. The animals, our daughter, everybody got out. We can do another video. We can't do another you. That's, well, there you go. So there I'm you glad go. you're here. Well now, tell us about your work. How'd you get involved in the Nephilim? And explain to people who aren't biblically inclined, just what are the Nephilim? This goes back to around circa 1988. And I had always had trouble with the biblical narrative. When you go to places like Noah's flood and you kind of go, why? Why does this God of the Old Testament destroy everybody on the planet. Yeah. You kind of scratch your Why head. Why is he go, mean? Yeah, that's, that's it. And then you go to Babel, the next thing, and it's like, wait a minute. Now he's confusing the language. Then you go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's with fire and brimstone on these guys. It's everywhere. Right? Yeah, it's like, what's going on here? And then finally, in, when Joshua and the crew, the Israelites, come in to the promised land, they're killing everybody, burning the cities, killing. And you sit there <laughs> and you go, wait a minute, you know, this Jesus. God of the Old Testament, how do I reconcile these two? In fact, when I was a brand new Christian, this is circa, you know, 1980. So I've been vexed with this for about eight, nine years. And uh, I remember getting to the, 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 the conquest of Canaan and just going, I can't do this. Right. And just, you know, right. this is, I don't understand this. And I couldn't get anybody to explain it. So one day I was in a bookstore and I was looking, someone had asked me about life on other planets. And this is, this is the book that changed my life. Dr. I.D.E. Thomas. His book was called The Omega Conspiracy. Uh I took it home, I read it, and he had the answers. And he talked about, and he referenced books from the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Ethiopian Bible, which are not part of our canon. 
not part of our canon, okay? So I was, I was blown away by this, and specifically in the book of Enoch, because what, the, what Enoch does is it gives us a view into the antediluvian world that most people don't know about. And Enoch was hidden, really, from most people on the planet until R.H. Charles discovered it in the 19th century. What that does is it, it gives us this, this view of this incredible cosmic battle which has been raging in an unseen dimension. And what we see is these fallen angels. Angels is just a word for messenger. Sure. These angelic entities make an oath on Mount Hermon to do this deed. And what they do is they contaminate the seed. And I'll get into that because they take wives, they have children from the wives. These are earthlings, These earthling are wives. Earth, earthly women, but a, a basically a, an entity, interdimensional entity, which is immortal. So you, you get this combination which produces this hybrid entity known as the Nephilim. And this hails back in the Genesis 3.15 narrative, which states, the seed of the dragon will be at enmity at war with the seed of the woman. He, coming from the seed of the woman, will crush the dragon's head. That huh. sets up the rest of the biblical narrative. But if you don't know what that means, and if you don't have the proper translation of it or right. understand it, you don't get it. Th then, you, then you never, when you get to Noah's flood, the Tower of Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the five kings, the whole deal, the, the conquest of Canaan, you're left going like I was. What's going on? Are here? the Nephilim evil? They're in a fixed state. They're, some people call them the soulless ones. Uh, the book of Enoch tells us that they sinned uh, against mankind. They were cannibalistic. They were sexually deviant. They were giants. They were giants. They would come in and drink. They would tear off the heads of people, allegedly, oh my and God. drink the blood. They were inc and like this taking is, a bottle cap off a beer. But, but Native American, Native American, First Nation people tell us exactly the same thing. Same Thousands thing. of years later, these red-haired, six-fingered giants would come in, rip the heads off to the braves, drink the blood, you know, mutilate the bodies. I mean, crazy stuff. And this is all in, in Native American oral tradition. I'm not making this that, stuff that is, up. You can't make this no, stuff up. No, you can't. In St. Louis, where I come from a lot, Cahokia. right across the river in Cahokia, Cahokia Illinois, the Cahokia Mounds. What the heck are these mounds? They're all over the planet. Yeah. When I was in Cahokia, I just sat there and stared at it for like five minutes really before we did it. Remarkable. Just my jaw on the ground, just going, okay. What we did in the very first film is we deconstructed uh, to show people uh, that this is an impossibility. Something else is going on. Or what I mean by that, mainstream archaeologists will tell us that Native Americans built these mounds. It took hundreds of years and thousands of people, one bucket of earth at a time. Okay. That's, they can believe what they That's want possible. to believe. Sure. It's possible, I guess. But recent studies on Cahokia show that it was built not in 300 years and more like maybe 20 years or perhaps even less based on the pollen and, and the tests that these guys did. Well, we hired a flint hoe, which allegedly these Native Americans were using. We hired a flint napper. We created a museum replica of a flint hoe that would be used at the time of Cahokia. We hired a fit laborer. We sent him out <laughs> into the dirt <laughs> near... To, to near, duplicate this. To duplicate this near Cahokia, right? Same soil. And we filmed all this and we show him, you know, digging in, into the dirt and then gathering the dirt in, in a bucket and taking the bucket and walking, let's say, 200 yards to where the mound would be. 
emptying the dirt and then tamping it like this. When I show that how, to people- How long does that take? It just, people just die laughing in the audience. But what it means is Cahokia is about 450,000 uh, tons of earth. So what does that mean? If you, were to stay, if you were to deconstruct the mound and put all that dirt in dump trucks, all right, you get end-to-end -end dump trucks over 200 miles long. Wow. That gives us an idea of the amount of dirt. Full to the top. Full to the top. Well, are they burial grounds, LA? No, they're not. They're, they're not. not. They're not burial grounds. Although they have been used uh, for, for Native Americans coming in and will use them for, for secondary interments. But the original, the, the original let's say, Cahokia, because you mentioned that, um, on top of Cahokia was a platform. And allegedly, on top of the platform, archaeologists believe there was a, a construction about um, 50 feet by 100 feet and allegedly 40 feet high. There was a stockade all oh. around Cahokia, 10 feet high. Why do they need that? What, right. what, what are they doing? And in my opinion, Cahokia, Miamisburg, other sites that we've been to, these are gateways. These are portals. These are high places. And in fact, I could take you to a place in England on the Salisbury Plain. I could blindfold you and go, George, where are we? And you'd look at that man and go, wow, we're in Ohio, LA. That's right. We're but here. we're not in Ohio. We're in England. They look the same. Yeah. So they came over. What happened to them? Well, this is, this is what's amazing. Um, this debate went on in the 19th century. And it, it was very heated. And certain people were saying, you know, something else is going on here. There may be supernatural uh, things that we're looking at. It might be the lost tribes of Israel. Something's going on, but no one, no one really knew. This guy, Cyrus Thomas, around 1910, 1920, decreed Native Americans built the mounds, but they simply forgot that they had done so. Yeah. And this is taught in, in archaeological and they believe it? The, the people believe it. This is what you're taught, and you're regurgitated if you're going to pass. So people like me are looked at as pseudo-archaeologists, yet I'm on the field deconstructing the, the popular narrative and saying, that, wait a minute, you got 10,000 mounds alone in Ohio. That's all these people did all day long. And Native Americans coming into Ohio, like the Shawnee now, People say that archaeologists are saying the Shawnee built a serpent mound in Ohio. It's the largest snake effigy on the planet. Right. So the Shawnee chief, which we show in the film, states on the record, the Shawnee did not build the serpent mound. So who do we believe? Where did they find the bones of these so-called giants? They were everywhere, basically, from, from the eastern United States all, all across, you know, from coast to coast, no pun intended. Uh -huh. But that's, they're everywhere. In fact, we had a lead on, on something today, which we're trying to vet, allegedly of a nine-footer in situ. Uh, in an undisclosed location. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that came in this morning. Is this information, L.A., being suppressed? Absolutely. Why? Be you know, when, we were, when I was out in Catalina, um, I got wind uh, that, that a cache of records had been discovered by Ralph Glidden. Glidden was a primitive archaeologist employed by the Hay Museum in the 1919-1921. He was out there in the Channel Islands, which go from Santa Barbara down to San Diego. And he was doing these primitive archaeological digs. He was digging up nine-footers and even talked about this. All that was suppressed. Well, this cache of records, when, when he just basically left the planet for 50 years, and, and John Borgina discovered it in the, in the, uh, in the Wrigley Theater, on the island of Catalina. It was front page news in the LA Times. Wow. I got wind of it. It took me six months to get the museum to allow me to come on the island and look at the, look at the documents, pictures, whatever they had. They were they reluctant had. indeed. Very much right. so, until I sent them a thousand dollar check ah, for the new museum and that mind. opened the door, exactly. That opened the door and uh, I was <laughs> there. And 
you know, I, I do spend some time in the archives, not a lot, depending on what I'm doing. Most of the time it's out in the field, talking to people actually on site. But archives are incredible because you never know what you're going to get. And I'm there in the archives in the museum on Catalina, and John Borgina brings out museum boxes. And in the museum boxes are manila folders with pictures in them, because I asked to see that first. Sure. Within 20 minutes, I had the picture which went viral. It's Ralph Glidden leaning on a shovel in an excavated grave, and in front of him is a skeleton in situ. And we, I knew it was big, but I didn't know how big. So right. I sent the scout, sent the picture to three different guys, you know, techies who looked at this thing, deconstructed it, digitized it, knew the height of Ralph Gooden at five foot eight. And basically all three of them, no collusion until after they gave me the data. Then I, we did a conference call mm-hmm. together, which was a real hoot. They all put it just around nine feet tall. A giant. A giant. A giant. A giant. And you can't talk about mounds without talking about serpent mound. Yeah. It reminds me of the Nazca lines in Peru. It's Same kind of thing, right? Very, very similar. You can only really appreciate it. I've been there three different times. There's a tower that goes up about two stories. And you can you get an idea of what you're looking at. But when I flew the drone up a couple hundred feet, and actually higher than that, all of a sudden the whole effigy comes into view. You have, we have to understand that this thing is based, the, the serpent is based on an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle, if the serpent's head is agape, showing it in the act of attempting to swallow an egg. An egg. Okay? This goes right back in the Genesis 3.15 narrative, which states, the seed of the woman will be at war. The seed of a dragon will be at war with the seed of the woman. The serpent, huh. there it is, trying to devour that egg. And you can only see it from the air. And it's thousands of years old. Why construct something like this? That you can't that see. That you can't see. Unless it's for something above. Yeah. So who is the prince of the power of the earth? Ab- absolutely. The dragon. You made something called Mathematical Mysteries of the Mound Builders. What is that? Well, we knew that there was advanced geometry, advanced surveying techniques, trigonometry. Um, but we didn't know to what depth. Okay? And we, we brought in mathematicians, multidisciplinary, sure. you know, to try to get an idea. We, I hired a surveyor to go, let me give you the first one. The Nork Circle Mound, the Great Circle Mound, is about 1,200 feet across. There's a moat. That's pretty good size, right? Really good size. And that was my first first mound encounter. If I can talk about this for a second. Someone told me about it. Russ Dizdar talked to me about it, told me about it. So I'm there at a conference. I asked my guide, well, can you, my driver, can you take me to the Great Circle Mound? He says, yes. So he drops me off in the parking lot. I walk up this, this little narrow asphalt path, and I get to the top, and I turn, and I mean, I'm, I'm feeling it chills here, and I look at this thing, this huge circle with the entrance, and I just froze in my tracks. And I, was, I just sat there, just like vibrating, looking sure. at this, realizing that this, is, this has deep meaning for me. This is my future, although I didn't know it at the time. Right. But, I mean... I'm looking at the fingerprints of the supernatural. So we hired a, a surveyor to go in and measure the moat because there's no waterway around there. Is this the Great Circle Mound? This is the Great Circle Mound. There's a moat okay. all the way in the interior. All right. That's unusual. So it's basically, he told us, for all practical purposes, it's dead level. It's within six inches to a foot of being dead level. Aren't moats built to keep things out? Yeah. What's the purpose here? This is ceremonial. Um, allegedly, at the entrance of, of the Great Circle Mound, there were two dragon heads that were, you know, deconstructed, whatever. Okay. Uh, it was used as a fairground. So there's a lot of slough in the bottom of that mound. That can account easily for six inches to a foot 
over a couple of thousand years of just things falling into it. Um, deconstruct it, take away all the trees, fill the moat up. And I believe if archaeologists, you know, with LIDAR, they could probably do this. They could f- probably, there's a, a canal, some sort of a stone canal that mm-hmm. like, like Curse of Oak Island, that brings water sure. to the moat that's hidden away, that they don't know where it is. Why is it dry now? Well, because whatever, whatever that source feed of was, water source is not gone. there anymore. It's okay. gone. But to construct something like that, just think about it. If we were going to just do that in the ancient world, there's no wheelbarrows, there's no backhoes, you don't have a shovel, you've got these little goofy you know, shoulder blades of deer that you're using as a pick or perhaps flint. How do you... And you got to haul water in deer skin. Yeah. How and do then, you, you know, do you that? feel, how do you, you know, it's, it's preposterous. With little buckets? Well, yeah, with deer, deer skin buckets or whatever. How much earth was used to construct these mounds? Well, again, Cahokia is the largest mound in the United States, and yeah. that is well over 450,000 tons. And again, um, Fort Ancient, if you were to deconstruct that, that's a very large mound complex. Three and a half miles of continuous earthen walls. You deconstruct that. That's over 200 miles of dump trucks end-to-end. So Cahokia is probably 300 miles of dump trucks end-to-end. L.A., what exactly, first of all, is Octagon Mound? The Octagon Mound is an unequal octagon. And in other words, a a normal octagon has eight equal sides. This octagon in Ohio has two sides which are unequal. So whoever is doing this, uh, it's mathematically... It's absolutely incredible. And it's one thing for us to draw with a compass and a square and a ruler, a small octagon on a piece of paper. But even then, you've, you've got to know geometry. Just to draw, oh, you, a have sim- to. you have to know yeah. geometry. So you go back a couple of thousand years. In fact, some of us believe that the octagon is about 4,000 years old. Uh, we, we put a, a very old date on it. And it's one thing to draw an, you know, eight equal sides. It's another thing to have two of those sides unequal. And then... This thing is running hundreds of feet. How do you check your work? How do you check your work when the octagon it, it comprises 50 acres? I've been in it. That's huge. I played golf there. I've been in it twice. And when you're on one side and you look over there, you kind of go, I have no idea what this is. Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today? They still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com. What does this tell you about our past? Well, it's hidden. There is a hidden history, and yet it's hidden in plain sight. And the powers that be, for whatever reason have deliberately obfuscated much of it. And, you know, myself, I mean, look at Graham Hancock's work, look at Mr. Childress's work. I mean, others are in the field doing the same thing. I have a slightly different perspective because I think these are the fingerprints of a supernatural. I think we're looking at the the dragon is definitely into this thing, just like the Book of Enoch tells us. Um, And these are constructs, and we'll get into this a little bit later. They were linked together in profound ways, and there's no way it's coincidental. No, but the fact that you can only see it from above tells you what? Well, that's whoever is doing this has the power to fly around, and that gets, see, in my opinion, I'm I'm always looking for this, like, a a unified theory. So how do I connect the modern-day UFO 
event, right. which are now real, by the way. Right. We've, we've known they were real, but now we're told they're real by now the Pentagon and everybody else. So, but how do I Get connect that with what happened with the Great Pyramid of Egypt, with these, uh, this, the Circle Mound, the Octagon Mound, Cahokia and other places? And my unified theory goes back to the Book of Enoch, which tells us that these entities, some people would call them the Anunnaki. That's what they would call them, you know? And the similarities between them are, are very, very similar, extremely similar. So are we looking at the same entities coming here? The mythos is slightly different, but the end game is kind of the same thing. Were they built for the ETs or with the ETs? Both. This is where the Nephilim come in, and fall, I, I call it fallen angel technology, Nephilim architecture. Okay. You know, when you go to these places what like— What is that? Well, when you go to places like Cahokia, and you realize the absurdity of 500,000 tons of earth, you know, by, by a group of people doing this thing, and then it's compacted. Some of these mounds are compacted. The dirt is compacted so tight that when you tunnel into them, you don't need supports. The, the earth just holds itself. It's like it's almost like it's cemented. We're trying to get permission to do soil testing on some of these things, and so far we haven't been able to get that. You needed to know archaeology in order to do that. You needed to know geometry, trigonometry, surveying techniques, and you know Native Americans didn't have this. Europeans didn't have trigonometry when this thing was built four thousand years ago. Didn't exist. Are these locations, LA, supernatural? I mean, do things happen there uh, out Absolutely. of the norm? Absolutely. And in the third series, the third film in the series, Secrets of a Supernatural, Voices from the Other Side, Russ Dizdar states on film that if these are Nephilim sites, then we should, we should see some sort of activity. When we were there, uh, <laughs> we saw stuff that just blew us away. And then we have in, in count, um, testimonies from one guy in particular, a pastor who had no idea when he, when he moved into the area, had no idea what he was up against. He saw tables levitate. Jeez. There was this room that you'd open the door and it was a crawl space. Then you'd open the door again a couple of days later. It was a black hole. It just went down, down, Ooh, down. Like they endless. Would, yeah. And they would throw things down in it and it would never hit the bottom. Jeez. Uh, I mean, all sorts of strange phenomena. Henry Groover uh, went, went to the Serpent Mound and basically he was called to do this. And so he would go and try to break some of the stuff that was there. Uh, when we were there, there was a coven of Wiccans who were there. Gee, you know, I, I wonder why. They know exactly, exactly what's going on with the Serpent Mount. So Groove is there, and he's alone, and there's a light snowfall, and uh, he does his thing on top of the snake, on top of the serpent's head, breaks every type of power that's there, and he's coming walking back. He, he gets sucker punched. There's no one there. He's on the ground. He can't move. He's basically paralyzed, and he cries out. He goes, why is this happening? And the Lord speaks to him and says, well, you weren't called to come here, you know. And it, he learned a very important lesson that you just don't go into sites like this unless you're called to Absolutely. do so. So he was freed up. I think to, for me, one of the, one of the uh, we were on uh, this place called Geller Hill. Allegedly, it's a, it's a burial site. It's the highest point in North Ohio. Octagon Mound, Great Circle Mound, Geller Hill creates a triangle. Perfect isosceles triangle. That's deliberate. We're on top of Geller Hill. We're going to film there at this ancient Nephilim graveyard. Of course, you can't dig, but they took out a lot of large skeletons there, allegedly, 100 years ago. So we're there. It starts to rain. The North Paranormal Group is tagging along with us. They've contacted Fritz Zimmerman, 
And Fritz said, you know, L.A., can they? I said, sure, you know, that's more, more the merrier. Sure. So we, we duck into this very well-groomed forest. At this point, this, this woman takes out this little device, and I have no idea what it is. She turns it on, and we hear a voice, and it says, evil. And I kind of go, whoa, what's that? And she goes, well, this is a novelist. Well, what's a novelist? It's got 5,000 words, and what it does, allegedly, if there are any entities or spirits in the area... It speaks itself. It, it's, like a, it's like a high-tech Ouija board. Huh. But I didn't know that at the time. So we walk down 50, 50 yards, whatever, and the thing spews out, in other words, witch. So we get evil and witch. And at this point, I go, wait a minute. Wait, I, this is high-tech necromancy. This is a high-tech <laughs> Ouija board. I can't do this stuff. So this is all on camera, and it's in the film. And I say, look, and I'm, you know, with people that don't believe like I believe, and that's fine. You know, it's, we can all get along, right? That's why I'm here at Gaia. That's right. That's <laughs> supposed Thank you, to guys. Be. Thank you, Gaia. But I go, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do it now. And so it's on film, and I, I just shut the thing down. I said, Father, just, just shut this thing down. This isn't from you. Shut it down. So the woman that's with me, Galen, I, she goes, what should I do? I go, turn off the machine. Turns off the machine. We wait about 30 seconds. I go, okay, turn it back on. She turns it back on, and she's looking at it, waiting for the word to pop up. And we show this in the film. Yeah. And the word holy. We're at total change. Up, pops up. And she, her face, <laughs> her face says everything. Her mouth drops open. She looks at, it looks at me. And later we, we bring the, the North Paranormal Group on camera. They had never seen anything like this. It's obvious, L.A., there's something mystical going on here. Yeah. There's, there's, there's absolutely no doubt. So, again... Our premise is these are Nephilim sites, Nephilim architecture, fallen angel technology. Right. And if it is that, then they're highly charged, and that charge is still there, which is why all this stuff is happening on all these all areas. All these years, yeah, it's still all these there. Same thing. If the, is the Bible accurate with the Nephilim? I think it's very accurate with the okay. Nephilim. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Is, is this a trick question? <laughs> no, not at all. But I just want to know where they went. Where'd they go? In our Watchers 10 with the late Richard Shaw, um, we, had, we, we picked up on Steve Quayle's story with the giant. He, and he was on your show. You came on Watchers I 10. That. Thank you for that. Yeah. Talking about the, can, the, the, the giant that Steve Quayle had. But we had another, another man who allegedly was a shooter. I interviewed this guy two or three times before, uh, just on the phone checking out his story, and then we finally brought Seemed him in. Seemed legitimate, didn't he? Yeah, very legitimate. Yeah. And the reason why, every time he got to the point where this, this one of his battle buddies was picked up and impaled by the spear of this giant, he would break down and cry. So I knew something was up. And he told us a story uh, about the giant of Kandahar. And I'll get into the aftermath of what happened after that story, but that went viral. Um, that thing was at least 12 feet. He was dispatched along with a patrol uh, to find another patrol which had gone missing. Mm -hmm. So they, they never met their check-in points, their rally points, and they were choppered down and followed the track, and they come around this, this go trail leading down, and they see like what looks like wreckage of radios and, and body parts and things like this. So they, they, their weapons are, are ready. So above them is a cave. Out of this cave comes a nightmare, at least 12 feet. And 12 feet is really tall. Alive. It's alive and screaming yes. with a spear. And this thing is runs at a speed which just blows them away. Oh my God. How fast this thing moves. Before they can do anything, it has impaled one of the guys and holds them up and like it's holding this. Them up. 
And they, they kill the thing, and a chopper comes in, it's six fingers, red hair, double rows of teeth, it stunk to high heaven, they all have to sign non-disclosure agreements, and the giant of Kandahar, I've talked to people who were stationed in Kandahar at that same base years later, and they knew about the rumor, Wow! but they weren't allowed to talk about it. They've, they've come up to me, and then we, we vetted his story with another soldier who was there shortly afterwards. When we, when we did this Jeez. and we, we produced a film and it went out, I was Great at response. a conference in, uh, in Dallas, to hear the Watchmen conference in Dallas. Right. And uh, I was approached by a guy from a deep state who basically threatened me three different ways in the first five minutes. He was going to, you know, my cell phone would have ch- child pornography on it. Uh, my car would have a, all of a sudden that the brakes would fail and I'd go over the cliff. One of my kids would go missing. He actually, actually said those things. Like I have a witness to it because I, I didn't go alone. You I have think a witness it was some it. whack job or what? It was, no, this, this guy was the real deal. He showed me the badge, the whole deal. And he told me, I'm here because of what you did with the giant of Kandahar. We don't, huh. want, you do, we don't want you doing that. Why do we they want, want it that. so secretive? Because it, it shows the veracity of a supernatural world. It goes back to the Nephilim. So this thing was there. It proves it things. Pro- and how many, you know, we don't know how old that thing was. You know, was, right. could have it, been 2,000 years exactly, old, right? Exactly, because it's not, it's part human, but it's also part angelic, exactly. which is immortal. So this thing could be two, 3,000 years old. And there could old. be more know. of them. Exactly. I think there are. What is LA the 18.6 year lunar year? What is that? This is something, and in the film, the second installment, I, I, we, we take you to different places with different experts where I, I say, where did this come from? We know from the book of Enoch that there was a fallen angel by the name of Sariel who just handed this to mankind. Sariel. Sariel. They just gave this knowledge to mankind. But here's the deal. And, and you go and you talk to people who have studied the megaliths all over the world. They're built on 18 and a half year lunar cycle. So this is what you have to do in, in antiquity. Let's go back 4,000 years ago. We know the moon's doing something, but we're not sure what. Right. It goes up and it goes down. And it seems to do that, you know, a couple of times a month, and then it changes. So we're going to track the moon. So we get some sticks out. We line some things up. We make some notches. We get some deer hide. We, we try to crunch the data. Well, then all of a sudden a storm moves in and we lose five days. How would you even know? You'd have to track the moon for 18 and a half years before you would know that it's an 18 and a half year lunar cycle. Right. And you would have to right. crunch the data. How would you crunch the data? This is, it's, and with it, what? It's astounding. It's mind blowing. Only in modernity, you know, we can do it now, but you go back 4,000 years ago. And this is just, oh, they just did it. No, no, no. It came from up there. It, when, it was when, given. When you were at American Stonehenge, you investigated a stone that had some kind of writing on it? The stone is called the Ball Stone. All right. The Ball Stone was found on the site when they started to excavate one of the chambers, which had never been excavated. Okay. It was underneath about a foot of soil. And they didn't know what it was. Right. And they took Who it, would? Well, they, it was, it's Iberian Punic. So they took it, they put it in the museum, it sat there for 11 years. So if it's a hoax, you know, it's, and how many people know Iberian Punic, you know, and go through the trouble of writing Did this Did anybody thing? tell Columbus? Yeah, exactly. So when, when, when we're in the museum, I'm, I'm shooting B-roll with a little Osmo camera, and Kelsey Stone, who was about 24, 25 at the time, is taking me around the museum, showing me stuff, and I, the camera's just on him. And he gets to where this thing is kept, 
And he goes, and this is, these are our dedication stones, the stones with writing phalamocyte. And, and the camera's rolling, and I show this in the film, and he goes, well, what's this one say? I go, what's this one say? And he goes, well, this is a dedication stone. It says, to Baal of the Canaanites in dedication. And you hear this long pause, and I go, what did you just say? Because he doesn't know what he's got. He doesn't. They don't know what they've got. I'm sitting here, I can't believe it. To Baal of the Canaanites? I mean, this is like, for me, it was like the Rosetta Stone. This is like, this links the site directly to the Middle East and the Nephilim. Yeah, it does. Links it right there. Way longer than we thought. Way longer. By being on the trail of the Nephilim, L.A., what does this do for you? (laughs) It does a, it keeps me busy, that's for sure. Keeps me out of trouble. No, but, but... I, I love this. What do you hope to accomplish? I hope to present a different paradigm to people, one that echoes and validates the biblical prophetic narrative, one that shows that this book is not just a bunch of dusty fables and genealogies right. in battle scenes, but that it is alive, that the prophecies that are written in it are alive, and some of them are happening even today as we speak. But it also shows us that the prince of the power of the air had reigned over this entire planet for a good period of time and established different points of contact all over this planet. It also attests then to the accuracy of the Bible. I think it does. And that's amazing all by itself because then when you look at how the universe was formed in Genesis, Noah's Ark, all this, it's all true. Yeah, it's all true. And, And the problem most people have is they look at, they look at, as a religion, and we're not talking about religion, we're talking about relationship, and it's, it's a whole different deal. So, you know, I've talked about this on your show, monks with funny haircuts and yep. rosary beads and robes and, you know, medallions and, and stained glass windows, all that are the trappings of men. It's not what it's about. Is it safe to say you're obsessed? Yeah, I'm definitely obsessed. <laughs> L.A., thanks for being Thank on you, Beyond George, Belief. Thank you, George, appreciate it. Well, you know what? He is obsessed, but it's great because he's getting answers for us that we don't get anyplace else on the trail of the Nephilim. I'm George Norrie, and thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Disclosure Podcast. To learn even more, go to Gaia.com, where you can watch interviews, movies, and original series. Gaia.com, content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com